Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. The crew is here with you. Chaz, as always, Richard, what's up? Hey, everyone. What's going on? Seth, what's up? How's it going? How's going well. How you guys doing? Doing okay. Episode 67. It was also Richard's birthday, so happy birthday, Richard. Did some rock climbing. Uh, did you enjoy yourself? Oh, uh, you, you snoofed on the Skype conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, I mean, I was a part of it. So. <laughs> yeah, I was in Yosemite with tons of other people, apparently. It's so crammed there. Oh, my God. You got to visit during a weekday, but it, it was it was fun. Yeah. Uh, so on our docket, we are going to talk about Pay the Pros update. Um, we wanted to there, – there, obviously, there was an update even after we uh, casted, so that was great. Um, and we also wanted to work in a bunch of fish mail. We had something else on that that we wanted to talk about, too. Um, just looking uh, back through. What did we want to talk oh, about, uh, Seth? Oh, uh, well, I'll just do the quick update, I guess. We have good Jake news. Jake, yeah, had, yeah. Jake had surgery on Friday, and he is currently home and recovering and apparently itching to get back to making videos and stuff. <laughs> so... So it sounds like things are going well. So thanks to everyone for your support, uh, not only financially, but just your kind thoughts and just for generally being supportive during that situation. So Jake is is much improved and he's back home recovering. So that's yeah, a, that was that's a, that was amazing. I mean, everyone who donated, everyone who just was generally supportive of Jake, um, we're all we were all pulling for him. It's it's just it was such great news to hear that uh, everything has gone well. So. Yeah, from from the bottom of our hearts here at the crew, we're glad Jake is uh, doing better. And um, yeah, you should be getting him back at some point for some videos, but we don't want to push him. So Jake, take your time. Uh, yeah, so great updates. Uh, and yeah, I guess while we're talking about updates, let's talk about the uh, pay the pros movement that uh, happened even after we cast it. It was going on. We talked about it, but turns out that they kind of realized that they needed to change something. So they reverted the changes. Uh, they well, didn't really revert them. They kind of just postponed them. And uh, apparently it's some part of, it's a part of something that they'll be discussing further that will end up helping the pros in the long run uh, from what I gathered. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a terrible uh, communication breakdown and they admitted it and they rightfully should have admitted it. And I just want to kind of, get everyone's thoughts here. So Seth, what do you think? Well, I mean, the good news is they uh, postponed or reverted the changes. So that's definitely awesome. And that takes away some of the immediate concern, I guess, of the, uh, a lot of people compared it to getting their wallet stolen because they had already worked for these benefits. So it fixed that problem. The scary thing that still remains is a group of people from Wizards of the Coast got together in a room and decided that doing this was a good thing in the first place. So there's definitely still some concerns about decision-making processes and um, how things will look moving forward, the communication aspect of it. So I don't think the problem is fixed, but things are much better than they were. The underlying problem isn't fixed, but the immediate problem is much better than it was when we were talking last week. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Seth. It's good that they admitted their mistake and they they fixed it. They even threw in uh, the hundred thousand dollar worlds bump, so they didn't revert that. Uh, so so that's good for wizards. Uh, but at the same time, I think it was a Reddit comment I read. Someone said it's like your friend stole your wallet, you called the cops, and then they gave it back. 
You know, like, yeah, you, you're made whole again, but your trust has been violated. So it's going to yeah. take a while for Wizards to build that trust back up. Um, they're trying. You know, they said they're going to talk to pros uh, to get their input uh, when they actually make their decision as to what they're going to do uh, with the pro play situation. So uh, they're working at it. So, I mean, at least they didn't just ignore the community. So that's good. Right, yeah. but like Seth said, they kind of violated our trust to begin with, so they're gonna have to spend some time and, and build it back. Yeah, and they even mentioned that in their uh, their article addressing this too that they they realized that the trust needs to be uh, built up again and and to get that back. And and that was kind of the whole underlying issue here as well. Yeah, it's great, and and it is great that the the entire community. I mean, we talked about this last week, Seth. Like it was kind of like. It doesn't happen often, but I'm glad it happened at least in, in this scenario where everyone was kind of unified and not polarized in any way. I mean, we were we talked to a lot of people. Uh, we hear a lot of people's comments. I mean, there wasn't really any kind of like opposing argument to this this decision. And so everyone kind of just got unified and even people that weren't even directly affected to it. So everyone got together. They listened to the community. But you're right. It is like. You got caught stealing someone's wallet. You give it back. But at least it's a start. And I'm assuming they're going to continue to take the steps to uh, get that trust back and to kind of, you know, get over what, what happened and move on and, you know, go in a positive direction. So um, in the meantime, I mean, it's good that they didn't bump down the, the world's uh, uh, prize pool. So that will remain intact. And it brings up another question about like where their vision of this is going. Uh, a lot of uh, I, I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of the direct uh, reaction to all this, um, and and the word esport comes to mind because of the new president hire. People are kind of envisioning Wizards into going into this esport realm and trying to build it as a esport or you know something of that nature to get more visibility. And I, I think that brings up a whole another question. Uh, in and of itself, because that's going to directly affect how they're going to compensate pros and, and pro players and, and all this uh, as well. So I don't know. That's kind of up in the air. I'm in the mindset of I don't really know how they're going to pull it off. I don't know if the game is really designed to go in that direction fully. I think there's always going to be a proverbial wall that it'll never get over. But that's just me. I don't know if you guys wanted to kind of touch on that, too, because that was really the overwhelming uh, takeaway from all this is that that's their underlying goal for the game. Seth, what do you think? Well, I there's definitely some limitations and some problems with getting there. One of the things that stuck out to me is they mentioned their underlying idea, at least in their words, of this whole thing was that if they can increase the prize pool at Worlds, make it a more public event, market it better, that this will increase pros' incomes because they'll be able to get sponsorships from outside companies. So that's something I wanted to ask you. Is even that practical? Like, that's kind of synonymous with esports these days. Like, if you watch a stream of another game, there's teams, people are living together in a house, someone yeah. is supporting them. Can even... Can that happen in Magic? Like, is there any way forward where LSV and Brad Nelson are going to be sponsored by Red Bull or something like that? Like, is, can you even imagine that happening? I don't know. I mean, 
I think it is there. I think they have to expand on that. I mean, they're already, uh, the pro players are already doing that for the pro tour. They're banding together, whether for financial or just that's what their team does. You know, obviously it's better to be in numbers when you're testing. Uh, you cover every avenue. Uh, they're already doing that for the pro tour. They're making these teams. I think there's a good uh, chance that some of these teams could get uh, sponsorships from, you know, Razor or maybe some of the uh, companies that sponsor these pros that play other games. Uh, Razor just comes to mind. I'm sure there's plenty more of them, uh, Intel or whatever. Uh, those kind of um, companies that will also promote them to stream on a more daily basis and and really push uh, their their visibility and likability and whatever else that comes along with that. I just I don't I just I question the game more than the people surrounding the game. I just don't know how magic ever translates to, you know, an e-sport. Like it, it was never meant to, you know, the game was made a long time ago. It was never in a, it wasn't in a different era. It's like it was never made to be that kind of on that kind of platform. Hearthstone was just made recently and it was built from the ground up to be a digital on a digital platform. And obviously it lends itself to being streamed and all that. So I, I don't know. I question the game uh, and the way it's structured more than the people around it. I think the people around it can thrive and be marketed and be visible. I just don't know about the game. Itself. But I mean, doesn't, isn't the game the thing that would hold these people back? Like here's, Here's the thing, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. We've talked about streaming before. I was doing yeah. some research on YouTube channels, and Kibler, yeah, plays I saw that. Kibler plays Hearthstone, and Kibler, on average, for the last 30 days, has been getting a, yep. over 1,000 new followers a day. The Professor, the biggest MTG-related YouTube channel, is the fastest-growing MTG-related YouTube channel, and he gets, like, 170. Like, <laughs> a a fraction. Like, is it yep. the game that'll hold like the one players... one-tenth the number, yeah. Is it the game that will hold the players back? Like, can they get sponsorships while playing Magic, I guess? I think they're great people, and right. Kibler shows if you're playing Hearthstone, uh, you can get the sponsorships and make a living off of it, but do... Can you do that while you're playing Magic, or does well, the game yeah, that's just restrict people yeah. from being able to do that? Right, that's what I was getting at, and maybe that's why LSV and all them kind of band together and made their own game from a from a like built from the ground up to be digital. I don't know. Even Hex is on the scene now. I don't know where these games will go. I think Magic has enough visibility on its own to. I guess, get them to that level. But, I mean, there's that proverbial wall that I've been talking about. I just don't know, like, the game as a, like as it's structured. I think that is going to be an issue, Seth. And, yeah, that's kind of where I was getting at. The people aren't the issue. The people playing the game, LSV, even Kibler started with Magic but had to branch out. I, I just don't know if the game is is that, like, popular. Like, as it's popular, but in the sense of being watched, being streamed, uh, having these big events around it that everyone can kind of relate to. I mean, when you watch Hearthstone, it's obviously a little, it, it's constructed differently. It plays differently and it's more, it lends itself more to being watched and streamed and having these big events. And, you know, a lot of people can understand what's going on in magic. I mean, it's a pretty complicated game. Like when you think about it uh, in comparison to a lot of other card games where, you know, people could get lost very quickly. 
I don't know. What do you think, Richard? I- I'd like for you to chime in. Yeah, I I mean, I think you guys are both correct in the sense that, yes, Magic is holding back, you know, the Magic eSport, right? But a lot of that falls on Wizard's shoulder. But, you know, in the space that we are in, out of all the players they already have, it's digital slash online presence is very lacking, right? There are, you know, I don't know how many millions of Magic players, not even a fraction of them are watching the Pro Tour, right? That can be improved easily, right? Now, whether Magic the Gathering can beat League of Legends, like, okay, maybe not, right? But it can definitely do way, way better, right? Like, you know, I, I watched CSL last week, and the production was better than the Pro Tour, right? Like, I can actually look at the board state and understand what's going on, right? When I'm watching the Pro Tour, you know, I have to wait for people whispering in the background to check graveyards and hand sizes and, you know, try to read off the glare. Like, these things can be fixed, right? But Wizards hasn't invested in the in it. Like, if you imagine, I guess the closest game would be uh, poker, right? All of the cards are yeah. chipped or something, I don't know, but... As soon as players draw them, like we know, right? We have overlays that show everything, right? There's no reason why you can't do that with Magic, right? You can have players play with special decks such that every time they draw a card, we, you know, we instantly know what it is and what's in their hand at all times, right? It's just Wizards hasn't done the investment into here, so we're kind of stuck in the state. Now, whether it's worth the investment or not is a question, right? So if they call it a hobby and don't want to invest in it, then fine, right? But if they're going to try to position it as an eSport, then they need to do the investments, right? You know, how, you know how the NFL has, like, you know, this year they implemented the the receivers and the players, so now you can tell how many feet they ran and right. you know, what their acceleration yep. was and all that stuff, right? Like, Wizards has to start thinking like that if they want this to be broadcast-friendly, if they want people to pick it up and do things like that. So... You know, I, I kind of blame Wizards for this, right? So, um, you know, maybe yeah. they don't want to do it, and that's fine. But if they do want to do it, they kind of got to do it correctly, right? And they, we already have models, right? We already have, you know, StarCraft, League of Legends, uh, Hearthstone even, right? We already have all these games that successfully stream. Um, so Wizards can definitely do it. And I think the thing they're, they're lacking most is art, right? Like, I swear to God, like, if you cast a dragon... And, like, a dragon, like, a CG dragon flies across the screen and, like, spews fire everywhere. People would watch that. <laughs> right? Like, that's basically Hearthstone. Right? Like, yeah, when, yeah. You, when you kill a creature, it's very flashy. You can tell things are happening. You know, when a legendary gets cast, like, something comes down and, like, stuff, you know, like, it's very exciting. With magic, you're like, I don't know what the guy, the guy just did something. And apparently he's in a superior position right now. Right? Yeah. Like, that's all that happens, right? Whereas Hearthstone is very visual, right? I, I, I'm sure you don't play, either of you don't play with the sound on in MTGO, but but I do. And it's like, I could, I could definitely understand what, I, like, I can definitely understand what you're saying, Richard. Like, you do something on MTGO, a couple random sounds happen, and then, like, all of a sudden, like, you're losing. <laughs> like, it's, it's like nothing really does happen visually. It's a lot of just, like, audible, like, cues and sounds, and then, like, you know, like, you're losing. <laughs> so... You're right. I mean, but does that mean that they have to kind of restructure, like build the game in a different way? I, that's how I always kind of thought about it because there's – I don't know how – like there's just no way. There's just so many – like there's not even like a million phases in, in Hearthstone. It's all just one giant turn. Like magic, there's 
you know, different phases. There's a main phase. There's a second main phase. There's an attack phase, a blocking phase. Like, how do you, like, consolidate all that? They would have to streamline magic. And that's where, like, I always voice my concern to people that saying, like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, magic has an eSport. I'm like, but the game's not really built like that. You brought up the NFL. Like, when people are talking about, like, stats and, like, all this and, you know, these plays and all that, people, like, watch, but they don't really care. They kind of get the gist of football, and it's, like, kind of easy to watch. Like, it's it's very repetitious. You, you see, like, both sides doing the same thing. In Magic, there's, like, all these different kinds of little triggers and little nuances that can easily get people lost. Like, Hearthstone is not like that. Like, you could play a uh, – it doesn't matter when you play your – your creatures, you could just attack. If it has charge, you attack, whatever. Like, think football. Fo- no one understands football, unless you actually played, like, college football. Like, I mean, like, for real, right? Like, oh, look, the wide receiver twitched his leg to the outside, causing the corner to take a step one way, and then you, like, went up for a post, right? Like, no one knows, right? And you don't need to know the same thing for magic. Like, think, I don't know, think Lord of the Rings, right? Like, you know, watch an army of elves take down, you know, an army of orcs. We should be getting that same experience when you're playing Elf Tribal versus Goblins. You know what I mean? Like, you should get that excited, and you should somehow feel that epic battle, but you see squares turning sideways. Right? So, you you could somehow spice it up. Like, I don't know how you would do that, but, you know, the, the appeal of magic is the universe and the art and the fantasy aspect. But when we watch a magic stream, you're seeing, like, poker or something. Right? Like, there's no flavor. Right? It's just these creatures and they attack each other and there's some rules. So, you know, like, I don't know, like, somehow get that excitement. Like, you know, like, Hearthstone does as well, right? Like, when you cast certain legendaries, your board changes, right? Like, you know, they slam down and, you know, there's an earthquake or something or there's mist on the screen and, you know, there's different sounds to to kind of show them coming in. So they kind of add that excitement. They kind of give that lore. But... There is, no, you know, you don't get much, much of the Lord magic online. What do you think, Seth? You, I, you have yet to chime in. I want to hear what, uh, what your thoughts are. Uh, I'm coming to grips with the fact that what I want out of magic online <laughs> and magic in general isn't what most people want. Like, I, right. I like the boring old poker magic online. Like, I, I don't want, I play Hearthstone and I turn the sound effects off. I don't want sound effects. I don't care about the flashy stuff. But I'm realizing that what I want isn't necessarily what's best for the game, especially if the goal is to be an eSport. So I think that both of you are right. I think, though, there's another problem. I was listening to Cedric Phillips' podcast this week, and Mm -hmm. Patrick Sullivan brought up a really interesting point that one of the things that holds back magic for the casual viewer is the fact that it's really hard to understand who's winning at any given time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where... Any sport, football, you look at the scoreboard and one team has more points and they're winning. Baseball, any like any sport. But in Magic, your life total isn't really representative of how well you're doing. So there's a lot of just natural barriers built in uh, like that to the like the game is so complex that if you aren't versed in Magic at all, even if it's flashy, like maybe that can get you to a certain point. But you're still going to have these underlying game mechanics that make it less than ideal for new people to watch. But the argument is exactly the same for Hearthstone. Almost any argument you throw at Magic can be thrown at Hearthstone, but Hearthstone has overcome it. Well, yeah, and it all goes back to Hearthstone was 
built differently. It was built to be on that platform. Magic, I mean, it was it's so much older and so much more. It has gone like every expansion, like more and more, uh, um, you know, abilities and you know, inherent ability, like all these different things. Storm, madness. You know, over time, it has amassed so much stuff. I, I think, think it's, it's just because, honestly, I think it's just because it's older. I agree, but it's it's also because the software is old. Right. Well, that's too. Right. It's that because too. the the layout is oh. old. Like if you just just look at Magic Online, right, and look at all the empty space. Oh. If you have a vanilla creature, do I need the vanilla box there taking no. up, you know, half of the card? No. Right. And that in turn makes it hard to look at. Right. Like hard to read and decipher. Right. And they decided not to change it at all because they wanted it to mirror the physical card. Right. Right. That's a limitation in the physical world. But it's not a limitation when you're broadcasting coverage or it's not a limitation when you have a digital card game. But they just decided to port it over. I I think I totally agree that there's tons of things like that that should be done to make it better. But still, when it comes down to it, you're still going to have stacks with five or ten counter spells on them and people making taking a while to make the right decision like that stuff that doesn't exist you never have uh, 20 zulaport cutthroat triggers interwoven with a bunch of other triggers that you have to stack in the proper order like that stuff is part of what makes magic magic and you don't have that in hearthstone and you can't really get rid of the 10 counter spell stacks or 20 zulaport cutthroat triggers and still have magic be magic i don't think right it, it may not be the most popular game Right, like even amongst the real esports, there's one that's better. There's one that's more popular, right? Like as much as we praise Hearthstone, it, it's nowhere near the level of esports as like CS:GO or League of Legends, right. right? But like Magic is not even like here at all, right? So maybe it can't be as popular as CS:GO, right? People like watching people get shot. Right? <laughs> it's like intrinsic, right? It's how it's it's yeah. like our current culture today. Well, I think, but yeah, go ahead, it can go be ahead, better, go ahead. right? Yeah, go ahead. No, I said I think that's kind of where we're all leading to in our own different way is that, you know, magic can it can be improved on. It can be better. But there is going to be like that plateau where it, it won't ever be able to rival like the larger, more well-known esports like League of Legends, Dota 2, CS, like you said, it, it, it maybe it just kind of caps off at some certain point. But it, it, it'll likely be a lot more, uh, you know, successful if they take it and run with it a little bit more than than they're doing now. So, so if you ever watch limited events at the Pro Tour or GP, one thing they love to talk about is how well the person drafted their seat. Because in limited, like, there's a lot of things you can't control. You can't make right. yourself open a Soren Grim Nemesis or an Archangel no. Angel <laughs> Avison. So you got to do the best you have with what. It is available to you and what cards come through your seat. So a lot of how good you are at drafting has to do with how well you navigate what you're given. And I think what everyone is agreeing on and saying is Wizards isn't drafting their seat as well as they could be as far as being an eSport in the production of their digital products and their their streams. I think that's a really great way to wrap that up. <laughs> I think yeah, I think that really covers everything that we wanted to say. Like that 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 sums it up quite perfectly, Seth. Well done. I think Wizards is the guy with like five piles. He's right. He's like taking two cards per pack, oh, and like the man. judge is like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I think that's 
everyone, uh, you know, we all, all three of us have come to that kind of same conclusion, whether, you know, regardless of how we got there. Oh, we should talk about Grand Prix Toronto and the SCG Open, which was modern. Yeah, we should. Um, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit. We did want to leave enough time for all this fish mail. It is good. But um, I, I didn't get to watch a lot of it, but I watched a good amount of it. It looks a, at least a little better than El, the Eldrazi running rampant. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe other people are going to disagree. Oh, collected company, band collected company or whatever, but... I thought it was a, it was a lot be- in a lot better spot. That's just me though. I want to hear what you two think. So. Um, so I assume we're talking about the SCG Modern Open in Milwaukee, and uh, yeah, I mean it's a hundred percent better than the Eldrazi running rampant. There's no doubt about that. Like I don't think there's even an argument. It is looking like Abzan Company is the new deck to beat in the format. Uh, as far as things that really stuck out or surprises. Uh, affinity is really on the downswing. Sorry, Chaz, but there's one affinity in the top 32, which is, I I told you, I mean, I I told you it was going to happen. Don't need to be banned. (laughs) And uh, apparently Tron is still a deck. Like Tron was a deck that people were pretty down on with the banning of Iavugan and, uh, Joe Lissette got second and there was one that just missed out on the top eight. So apparently Tron is still good enough. Uh, even after the banning. So those yeah, are the and, two and, things that stuck out to me. Oh, what's what's that land that they're playing in place of Eye of Ugin? What, what's uh, that land Sanct- called? Sanctum of Ugin, maybe? Oh, there <laughs> we go. Oh, I wonder who said that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, another one that showed up, I, uh, Joe Lissette wasn't playing it, uh, but was, oh, now I really can't think of the name of it. The colorless land that draws a card, Seagate Wreckage. Oh, yeah, that's uh, a spicy is, one one that was being played in that slot is a additional colorless land. So I thought that was a good addition too. Yeah. I think that's really great. I mean, Sanctum too. I mean, it, it plays a similar role and I think we, it's safe to assume that uh world breaker is pretty good in modern now. I mean, I, I, I see that card pop up a lot in the Tron list and it's always definitely there. Like even with a more aggressive package with like reality smasher and all that. I will say that the deck is, much worse if you actually watch the games like right. there were definitely yeah. a lot of games where i was watching joe play and you'd be thinking man if if i Vugan was still in the format he would have won this game turns ago like you play your expedition maps you got sylvan scrying and you just you don't have the eye of Ugin to get to get your big finisher so the deck's a lot more likely to kind of fizzle and go like 10 turns in a row without drawing anything relevant and lose <laughs> that way uh, so it definitely is powered down, but it's also a testament to the deck that it can be powered down to that extent and still show up in top eights at tournaments. Yeah. Unfortunately, Affinity is just as strong, but I mean, when everyone's playing Stony Silence and, you know, whatever else Affinity or uh, Artifact Removal, now that Thopter Foundry is more of a thing. Well, I mean, it's like the, playing an uphill battle. Look on the bright side, Chaz. Maybe Affinity doing bad for a while will keep it from being next on the chopping block with uh, the ban list. That's that's fine with me. And maybe now that there's no modern Pro Tour, that coupled with the fact that it's not dominating anymore, because everyone kind of felt like it was going to be the next runner-up after Eldrazi. Like, oh, we're going to have to deal with Affinity now, and that'll have to get banned. So hopefully those two scenarios in conjunction will... At least make me enjoy Affinity for a little while longer before I have to act maybe, something. <laughs> maybe the funniest part is uh, the 
the sort of the meek thopter founder decks aren't really doing that well like they're scaring like they're commanding sideboard hate and probably pushing affinity out of the format but i don't see any in the top 32 just looking over the list so it's not no, like yeah. they're even performing that well so well, they're yeah it's that it's like you almost feel the need to put plus and lantern as well so it's almost like one card ends up being good against like three different decks even if they're fringe yeah and i mean it's well, good affinity against... not being more fringe but and it's not bad against tron either so oh yeah it's not i mean i don't think it's bad in almost any matchup so well yeah. maybe not maybe not against abzan company you can, like shut down their spell skype so they can't <laughs> yeah, activate it yeah. <laughs> gotcha i i have seen uh maybe this is kind of like a uh response to all this crazy uh affinity hate uh, I, I have seen on the uh, MTGO leagues, I think, uh, a couple of the uh, of the 5-0 lists are now re reverting back to, I don't know if they're reverting back to, but they're incorporating Days Undoing again. So I was like, oh, we're back to this, huh? <laughs> so maybe that's kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's its way of combating all this. Seems awesome. But yeah, yeah let's get to some fish mail because uh, a lot of these are really good. All right. Thomas Mitchell. Uh, touching on what we touched upon, I'm concerned about the watchability of Magic events, specifically Twitch and YouTube. Uh, so it's it's subpar. It's difficult to view board states, inconsistent lighting, resolution. Each board uh, isn't viewable. Discard, exile, library. Uh, each player's hand is often a mystery. Uh, I know Moto has problems, but wouldn't running these feature matches through the software client as opposed to playing them out with physical cards to resolve many of the issues I, I outlined above. So basically, should we use Moto for Pro Tour coverage? Yeah, I mean, we just, I guess we go back to everything we were talking about. I mean, it, it is it is tough to follow. And I don't know if, like, I guess the, the, the you know, people shuffling their cards, I guess could be annoying, but it's, it's no different. I mean, in Hearthstone, I don't know, this is a very, like, minor thing. I guess other people will know this if they play the game. I mean, you can hover over the cards, like, in your hand, and they will, like, pop up. I don't know if that's more annoying or less annoying, but I mean, you can do that. So uh, That seems minor to me, but, uh, I, I mean, go back to it. earlier in the cast. I mean, we did talk about all this. It, it is an issue. So I think the that is quite possibly the long-term goal. I've heard some Wizards people say they'd love to have GP-type events on Magic oh, yeah. Online. They're investing in this new digital client that'll be out who knows when, but they are apparently working on this Magic Digital Next or whatever they're calling it. But here's the problem is, could you imagine the carnage when you schedule a Pro Tour for Moto and suddenly, like, there's a card bugged and it ruins the entire event. Yeah. Or the program crashes mid-pro tour and they have to restart <laughs> from the beginning. Like, or, you know, lightning strikes one of the pros, like, houses or whatever and there's no power. It's, it's Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and, and I think that Magic Online gets a bad rap and it's more stable than a lot of people think. But things like that do happen. Like, we've recently had flashback drafts with bugged cards where Wizard Solution is just... Uh, we're pulling these cards out of the pack. So when you open your pack, there's no chance that you get this card because it's bugged. And after seeing the pros freak out about the shape of their table for Pro Tour drafts, I could imagine that things like that would cause a lot of discontent on social uh, media. Yeah. And I don't know if Wizards wants to deal with that. I don't know how you would well, just it. don't yeah. have a terrible program. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> I guess. Well, also, I mean, 
I'm I'm sure they could do this for the Pro Tour. I don't know how they would do this for other events like GPs or stuff like that. But, I mean, all of them are in the same location. So, like, when they're doing a Hearthstone tournament, I mean, they're at the same table just with two computers in front of them. And, I mean, they have, like, top-of-the-line equipment and, like, top-of-the-line, you know, uh, internet routers or however that's set up. So, I mean, I find very little... uh, technical problems on the biggest stages like that like that that doesn't happen that often i guess uh, from I what guess... i've watched i don't know and i've watched it a good amount i don't watch it all the time but i mean i've never seen technical issues like on a big stage like league of legends or dota 2 not saying it doesn't happen but not often well you've never seen a pause before i've seen a pause, I've seen plenty of pause. <laughs> it actually happens oh no, yeah but they've worked around it right right right, right, they, right. They, they figured it out it's part of their process they know to have the backup satellite internet truck in case the venue internet goes right. down. You know, they have like a billion computers back there that they can swap parts in and out in case you need to pause. And they have the ability to restart games. Well, some games. They can restart the the game state if needed. So they can get around these things because they've kind of built it. Yeah. Uh, but going back to this original point, I, I don't think they're going to do it because they want to show off the paper yes. game. Right now, paper is like actually a thing. So they want to show it off. But... Having said that, they can do lots of things to fix it, right? Like, just disallow sleeves. If you're in the feature yeah. match, give the players unsleeved decks to play with so that people can actually read the cards, yeah. right? Have better overlays, you know? Like, if you're watching football in the stadium, there's a scoreboard with the score, obviously. But when you're watching at home, they overlay the score on the screen so you don't have to try to get the right camera angle to view the, the scoreboard over there, right? <laughs> But we're doing that for the graveyard and the exile zone and the hands, right? So make better overlays to show all this information at home. Yeah. So so I don't know. They they could do it, but I don't think they're they're gonna go all the way, but they can bring some of the technology back, you know, have a blend of paper and digital. But like getting sleeves is a big deal. Like the Pro Tour draft this time was so hard to follow because all the cards were sleeved. So, you know, in addition to trying to read the card as the, as the pro flicked by it, you have to deal with the glare. Uh, so it, it was just really bad. So just go back to 1995 or whatever where they forced everyone to play without sleeves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Wizards can do it. Just print extra yeah. cards and have them around. Like, oh, what deck are you running? Here. Here is your deck unsleeved. Yeah. Play it on camera. Play with extra large cards. Who knows, right? Like oversized <laughs> cards. Right? Like, I, I don't know. They, they could do things like this. They could. They really could. I mean, it would be on. I mean, it would be weird to get used to at first, but I, mean, I think you are onto something, Richard. I mean, that would eventually not be weird. Yeah, they started with the you must put your creatures in front of lands, like that. That was a small step in that direction, but they can do more to standardize what a feature Wait, match looks like. What about? Have you ever seen those like living chess boards where there's actual people? What if you have like for the feature matches, people like <laughs> dressed up like angels and they actually like swing in and attack <laughs> each other? That would, Dude, just make it like the, like the Yu-Gi-Oh! TV show, the cartoon. Just have like, yeah, it's a straight-up Yu-Gi-Oh! now. <laughs> just have, like, giant digitized, like, versions of, like, Avacyn or whatever, and, like, <laughs> battle each other. And I guess we can set up something where the loser now goes to the Shadow Realm. Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, I did watch Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, the cartoon, okay? Like, it was cool at one point. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm quoting that. Chaz thinks Yu-Gi-Oh is cool. At one point, you have to actually, you have to add that caveat. Through the magic of editing, I can remove that clause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next question from Cole Adams. 
this is about Pro Tour and Manguchi. So the last round of Swiss. Uh, I'm not 100% positive of the details, but I'm aware that they were in the last turn of turn 5. Uh, it was Andrea's opponent's turn, uh, so that's Mori. Uh, they were teammates, and neither was in a great position. From the body language in the coverage, it was clear that Andrea was being a little aggressive to make it clear to his opponent that he would win if given another turn or two. Uh, with the judge sitting right there next to all this going on, how is this possible that it isn't collusion? Uh, which I know is an immediate DQ. So do you guys have any opinions or perspective on what happened and uh, what to do in the future should this happen to any listeners? Cut away. So we're going Cut back away, to the concession story. <laughs> Pull the yeah, camera away. That, that, that would have been the first thing. I definitely agree with you, Seth. Actually, you and I discussed this uh, uh, prior uh, at one point. Yeah, that, that should have been... Uh, they should have cut away from that. Uh, B, I can only say what my experience is. My experience is, as a player, if it's a draw and, like, it goes to turns and no one has won or lost, it's a draw. Like, whether that messes up your seating or not, you know, if if you're on the same team or not, that's just the the reality of what has happened. Now, I understand Andrea was trying to... I, and it was a little aggressive from when I went back and looked at it. it. Was he was almost kind of coercing his opponent, even if they were on the same team, to be like, "Listen, you're gonna like mess mess me up. You're gonna, I'm not gonna be in the top eight. Like you should just concede. I'm going to win. Like whether you're going to win doesn't really matter. It's a, a draw is a draw. So not whether neither of you have gotten in or uh, your opponent would have gotten in and you wouldn't. That's just the nature of the game, and that's what I've learned and what I've experienced as a player. Now, you guys can have your own interpretations, but, I mean, at least we can agree on it shouldn't have been on camera. I I think he did exactly the right thing because that's how the rules of magic are written, unfortunately. Like, I think this isn't a problem with that situation, uh, but if we want that to not happen again, maybe we need to reconsider how games like that end. Like, maybe we don't want intentional draws to be part of uh but that's the rules of magic you can't by the technical rules they didn't do anything wrong in that situation he didn't offer him a hundred dollars to scoop to him there was no bribery like so i mean he under the rules he did the right thing yeah that's my take and that if we have a problem with it we need to change the rules not get mad at the players in that situation right not that yeah exactly not that i'm mad or like how it happened i do feel it was a little aggressive but i mean at the end of the day what happened happened he did concede whether he felt pressured or whatever if he was on camera i mean he was being watched by a lot of people i don't know if that all came into effect we'll never know but unless we ask or he, you know, says something, but you're right. Seth, it was under the rules of what is in place. So. Yeah, I agree with Seth here. Uh, you know, there, I think all of us would have did what Manguchi did. Yeah. Like, I, I believe the actual situation was he had a superior board position and uh, his opponent was out of reflector mages or something. So there's no way he would come back and their teammates, they test together a lot. So, it should be clear to them that, you know, this this is advantageous and, you know, I'm not a bad player. You know, I'm not going to, like, somehow, like, flip my deck over and lose. So they were having that discussion. Uh, but that was totally allowable. And the fact that the game rewards you 
for not drawing is the actual problem. We're not the game with the tournament structure. Yes. So, you know, as long as it's set up like this, you know, any player who's trying to maximize their value or hit top eight or win the Pro Tour is going to do this. And we can't really blame them because this is what's going to happen, right? This is kind of similar to the uh, the foil Goifgate thing, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, given that Goif is worth this much, <laughs> and this is how it turns out, like, you'd probably just take the Goif. It looks bad for the game, but the game is set up in this weird way that, you know, if you take this Goif, it's better for you. A few days right? ago, that was so... immensely true. <laughs> You know, they just made it phantom or something. They could remove it right there, right? But no, they had to do it like this, right? So just the way the tournaments are set up. And, you know, the Magic community has talked a lot about this. I don't know what the solution is, but, you know, as it's set up, I think a lot of people would have done the same thing. So I, I don't think there's, like, a moral gray area or anything like that. It's just the rules are weird, and this is what happened. Yeah. I mean, I do it all the time. I mean, if I, if I can't win, and even if it's in turns, and I feel like... I mean, I, I write... You know, I, I sign my name off on a loss if if my opponent can get packs out of the deal or something like that, and there was no way for me, even if I was to win in turns or whatever, and it still would have messed up my opponent. I mean, I don't know. It, it was a little bit of a different situation, but not really. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I don't think I blame any either of the players or felt that uh, Manguchi was not within his right. But yeah, and was he maybe a little aggressive? I guess, but. It still was all within the confines of the rules. And you got to remember, too, it's the Pro Tour stage. If you're doing that at FNM, you are a jerk and you shouldn't be doing that. Like, there's, right. a, there's a big difference uh, between professional level play and your local game day or something. So just keep that in mind. Don't go Manguchi on people at your game day or anything. Yeah. I mean, do the opposite. <laughs> you know, if, if your opponent can obviously benefit from you losing and you don't really have a clear path to victory then I, I would recommend it i mean i do it all the time you know you're helping someone out and in turn you never know d down the line someone will do that for you so and it was even weirder because they were teammates i don't know why it was such a long discussion it's kind of weird but yeah, it's just Manguchi is also a very animated person yeah. right so it looks a lot worse because you know afterwards he then hugged and kissed mori Right yeah. before that, he was flailing his arms, so he's just like a very animated person. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into that. Like, we don't know how he is. Maybe he is very aggressive. Maybe he's not. I don't know. But you know, it is the pro tour stage. They've been playing for like twelve hours or whatever, and uh, he just seems like an animated person in general. Yep. Uh, so next question: Do you guys think Sylvan Advocate has reached its peak at around eight dollars? Uh, Saffron and Olive pegged it as the second most played card at the Pro Tour. I have extra play sets, even a few foils sitting around. Uh, should I sell now or hold out for the 10 plus price tag uh, from at Fundosh? Well, the good thing about Sylvan Advocate is it's going to stick around for quite some time. And I don't feel like it's gonna go going to get any worse at any point during Standard. I mean, it's always just a great card. Uh, I do think it can push past ten dollars a little bit that's just my opinion it's it's i mean it's amazing and like you said i mean in your articles that the it was the second most played card of the pro tour it's largely one of uh or tied usually uh the most played card at any given tournament standard so i mean i don't think it's going down anytime soon i think it could hover at eight for a little while but i do kind of sense that it can go up a little bit more yeah i mean i think 
I don't expect it to double in price from where it's at no, now. No. But I also don't expect it to decrease. So I think I guess it depends on your goal. If this is completely a financial play, I might consider selling just because there's probably things with more upside that you can invest in. Uh but I don't think you need to sell them. I wouldn't worry about them crashing in price or decreasing in price. Uh, so I think you're fine to hold on to them. But I don't know if it has as much upside as possibly some other cards at the moment. Just because it's already in the $8, $10 range. And I can't imagine it being $20 or something. Probably right. like $12 might be it's about max. as high as I could see yeah. it going. So so that that would be my advice. Yeah, the good thing is, is yeah, I mean, I think the only thing holding it back from going further than that is it's a rare. So, but yeah, I think twelve is probably the maximum it could it can get to. Uh, I don't, I just don't see it getting, you know, increasing much more than that. Uh, but I mean, eight. If you want to wait a little bit longer, I don't think it's going to decrease much from eight. But I think eight is fine, especially if they're just sitting around uh, collecting dust. I think you're 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 fine pulling the trigger. But waiting is also, too, if you really want to get that last uh, maximum value out of it. Okay. Uh, so I've been reading the person sending the fish mail wrong this entire time. <laughs> that last question was from Cole Adams. <laughs> uh, this next question is from Fun, Fun Dosh, or Fun Dosh. Uh, can you discuss the positive and negative effects of redemption? So I'm guessing this is in reference to just the overall paper and online economies. Mm. Uh, you just wrote an article about this, right, Seth? Yeah, I just wrote an article to, yeah. about yeah how to redeem sets and kind of the advantage of it. And uh, well, I guess for me the the positive of redemption is it ties Magic Online to the paper market and makes right. people feel comfortable paying paper prices essentially for packs and stuff like that. Uh, the downside is it ties Magic Online to the paper market. So under the redemption <laughs> model, you can't have $2 Hearthstone Arena drafts on Magic Online. It just won't work with redemption. So that's the <laughs> blessing and the curse is the same thing. Yeah, that's great. That's well done. Sorry, I was just laughing because it's just the way you say it sometimes, Seth. I, I can't <laughs> help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, though, yeah, uh, and I would definitely read that article. I think uh, Seth uh, covers a lot of great points in that article uh, as well. Uh, oh, just a side note. So this week, uh, I, I tried to tweet at MTG Lee, but he didn't. He didn't listen to me. <laughs> but because of the you know the Hearthstone new expansion, they give out thirteen new packs. Yeah, right. And you know it would be so sweet if Magic Online could do that, uh, but they can't, right? Because if you give out packs, it's going to affect the paper market because mm. of redemption and things like that. Uh, so they, you know, this this is one of the cons where, uh, because it's tied together, you can't have special digital promotions only. Uh, but Magic Online can kind of work around that with phantom events and play points. Um, but that's just something to note. You know, you can't just give up free booster packs to Magic Online yeah. because of redemption. Uh, t- yeah, those free packs were great. <laughs> just if, uh, off topic. I mean, I logged back in. I logged into Hearthstone to get my 13 packs. Go on my Twitter uh, profile. You'll see that sweet pack I cracked. The double legendary <laughs> rare or the double legendary rare and a foil in the same pack. So that was pretty sweet. Ooh. Definitely don't get that every day. Maybe I just need to start playing some Hearthstone some more. I'll, Cthu- <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll Cthune, you're Cthune, and we'll both ramp to Cthune, and whoever's is 
more gigantic wins. <laughs> that's that's Hearthstone these days. That sounds like an Ulamayog mirror match. <laughs> I mean, that's literally Hearthstone. It's kind of crazy. Uh, okay, from at D. Sizzleman. I don't know. I can't pronounce his name. Darius. Sorry, Darius. Uh, Haiku, I've got two related questions. I have an eternal collection that I want to sell sometime this year. Moxon Duels Staples. First, should I wait until EMA gets out in hopes it will generate interest in older formats and drive prices? Second, I don't have time for eBay. Should I try to sell during some big events like GPs or just go to Channel Fireball or Star City Games? Um, I would say yes and yes. I think yeah. uh, there's not really any reason not to wait till this summer on the off chance that there's an uptick in demand unless you're holding a bunch of stuff that you're worried is going to show up in Eternal Masters. But if you're talking Moxin and Dual Lands and Reserve List stuff, there's really very little chance that those prices are going to crash in the next two or three months. So why not wait? And you might as well try to sell them at a GP because you might get a better price. And if you don't get a price yeah. you like, then you can go to a buy list. Yeah. I mean, usually they they have some really good prices on a GP floor. So I would definitely take advantage of that, especially when you don't have time for eBay. Uh, so I would, yeah, I would wait for a GP um, where they have usually better deals than when they would normally on their, you know, day-to-day buy list. But yeah, yes and yes to those too. Uh, at Shade of Hades, what makes Magic Online less acceptable to spec buyouts and lasting spikes? So, like, Seasons Pass going up to 14, back down to 4, etc. Less oh. acceptable? Yeah. Hmm. Well, the Magic I feel like it's I feel like it's as susceptible, no? I mean, as far as... There are spikes and buyouts on Magic Online. The yeah. thing you gotta realize is it doesn't work the same as in paper because the market is much more efficient. Like on magic online, if, if you think about a card that spikes in the paper world, uh, someone buys out a card uh, from all the major vendors for the vendors to get more copies. People need to first, they need to up their buy list price, then wait for people to go to their buy list, mail them cards, which takes a few days and then relist them on their website. That's a long process, like several days. And Magic yeah. Online, when Seasons Pass spikes to $14, in five seconds, anyone with a Seasons Pass that opened one in draft is like, oh man, I can like get a whole draft's worth of tickets out of this card, hop over to Card Hoarder, MTGO Traders, sell it immediately so that everything happens in such a sped up rate on Magic Online. Uh, that you don't see the spikes that last as long and are, people are sold out for long periods of time because the process happens much quicker. Yeah. Well, my, my point was, I think it's just as susceptible to specking and, and you know, mass quantities of cards being bought, I, you know, buyouts. The, the, the issue is, right, the, the less susceptible is the lasting spikes part, uh, where, like you just talked about, Seth, when people are able to transfer these cards instantly uh, the price is suddenly going down because all of these instantaneous transactions. The the other thing that makes buyouts more difficult is most vendors have a limit of four cards, and there isn't a right. TCG player where you can just buy from every vendor all in one click. Uh, so you can't... It's really difficult. I tried to buy 50 copies of Shadowborn Apostle to play a deck, and it took me like an hour, and I eventually gave up. <laughs> it was just like not easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh dear <laughs> uh, I know a deck that was going to be too okay uh, at Louis Kevin 
Could Watsi do more team-based tournaments like Korean StarCraft? Three players from each team play to see which team. Oh, is. that would be awesome. I'm at, I mean, we were looking at a sweet three-person team right here. Dude, imagine? <laughs> that would be awesome. So so we do have team-based tournaments, yeah, right? But uh, they're not like... We have the team GPs and things like that. That's true, yeah. They just play all the matches simultaneously. <laughs> and I guess you don't play till you lose. You just play your opponent. But, I mean, you just gotta look at StarCraft, right? Like, it it works for them. They, they turned a single-player game into a team-based yeah. game. And, you know, along with the teams comes branding, uh, you know, comes something to cheer for. You know, if your favorite player retires, it doesn't matter because you're still following the team. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll cheer for the new players. So they did a lot of things right in terms of the esports aspect. Whether that translates to magic, I don't know. Like, do I want to see potentially eight matches in a row for, you know, two teams duking it out? Uh, I, I, I don't know. But it would add to epic storylines, right? Like, imagine that time LSV reverse killed <laughs> Team Ultra Pro or something, right? Like, yeah. that would be totally epic. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, too, I think maybe you could just do teams in a, as an additional thing thing like golf is a very individual sport but they play team golf but it's kind of still an individual sport like you still win if you have the best score but then like the total team score is added up to and determines a winner so i would rather just see teams be more consistent like that's the biggest problem with magic teams right now is people jump around all the time i think brad nelson has been on like four teams in the past four pro tours like people just are constantly going from team to team, so you don't have that consistency. Uh, so I would rather see teams become consistent and then have like scoring and ranking for the teams, but not change tournaments. So you're watching, oh, it's Channel Fireball and Green Black Aristocrats against Pantheon on Green Black Seasons Path for 10 matches in a row. That would just drive me insane. <laughs> yeah, it would be very interesting. Though. You do get a little of that at Worlds too, right? Like where... It's more of a little bit of a team, like each country is kind of coming in like as its own team uh, sort of thing. So you do get that a little bit, but I think uh, the fish meal was kind of going even further than that. Like, it is kind of interesting seeing one person there and they're like whole entourage. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, play that. Like, oh, no, no, no. And they're like, they're all like conversing with each other. You just see the guy just sitting down with his hand. He's like, all right, so what what, what am I doing? <laughs> I, I... I will also say, though, I'm not sure that those events have been very popular, like the, yeah. the team limited GPs and stuff. I don't think their viewership compares to a modern GP or a standard GP. So I think that there is like a hurdle there because I know the players love it. If you follow uh, the pros on Twitter, they love the team limited GPs yeah. and would love to have more of them. But I don't think it translates as well in coverage as uh, it would need to to become a, a bigger part of the game. I, I like Seth's answer, though. I yeah. think that's something immediate that could happen right away. Like, make teams look like teams. Yeah. Right? Because now we have, like, this... We have, like, multiple dimensions, right? We have the testing team, which is the players that play together. But for some reason, they're all individually sponsored by different, <laughs> like, entities. So you have, like, oh, this is team you know, face-to-face with some guy with the Channel Fireball shirt and some guy with the Star City Games shirt because he's being sponsored over there. And you're like, what is going on, right? Like, have everyone wear those, 
like NASCAR clothes, right? <laughs> like everyone looks the same. They they have the same general color scheme. They have a brand, and I'm gonna blame Channel Fireball and you know Peach Garden Oath. Right? Those are actual teams right now. They control this. Just all wear the same shirt, right? Wear wear the same jersey or wear the same sweater or hoodie. You know they can definitely do it. And I think Enter the Battlefield kind of started that. Like after watching it, I'm like, oh, you know, I I really like. Uh, these three guys now, right? I like Huey, Owen, and Reed more than usual now, right? Because now I see, oh, they're, you know, they're such a tight group and they're always together. And now I have something to cheer for, right? And the same can be said for Channel Fireball, you know, LSV's, you know, core team. But, you know, they can do much more to push that branding and, you know, get an actual jersey. And, you know, have you seen people buy StarCraft jerseys and stuff or like League of Legends jerseys? Like, it's ridiculous. It's just like NFL jerseys, right? Like, you pay 50 bucks or like some mesh and then get it signed and then you you parade around with it right like we can totally do that with magic i i will say too this is sort of happening on the scg tour level like this week jim davis came out with the fact that he has a team of meta gurus i think and i think there's five or six of them and they all showed up together at the scg open this weekend they were all wearing matching uniforms and they have a website going so i think that we're seeing a trend in that direction. The question is going to be, I guess, twofold. Can we get there on the professional level? And is there enough sponsorship to make it worthwhile? Like I, I'm assuming that's why people jump teams and everything is so shaken up all the time is because the sponsorship money just isn't good enough. So it's going to take uh, channel fireball and star city games and some of the big people with money to put out more to support these teams. If they want players to remain loyal to the teams i think i mean a t-shirt is like 15 dollars. <laughs> just just get them t-shirts sleeves i guess you can't use play mats deck boxes just just make everything uniform we can do yeah. it we can do it everyone on different teams gets different jumpsuits <laughs> yeah and then you know you can even be really like wizards can actually be really stringy right you can be like well you can't be these colors because this other team is this color already <laughs> You know, you never see two NFL teams with the same colored uniforms nope. playing, right? They they have the away and home colors for a reason, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, one more, one more. This is a large one. <laughs> uh, from Max Roberts. Uh, this was actually from the article. Uh, recently, MTGO stopped showing replays. Uh, I was upset because I set up a bot to go through the replays and take note of deck lists. Uh, just skipping all of this. So... MTG Goldfish used to do this. Uh, any comments on how useful it was? Uh, what is Wizards' aversion to big data? Another TCG, unnamed, has set up an API where you can get info about cards, characters, strategies, uh, but Wizards seems to be against that. So obviously the community doesn't seem to be an uproar, but my opinion is just this is just another area where Wizards is lacking. Uh, so what do you guys think? Uh, are there ways to take advantage of big data or how big data can be used in Magic the Gathering in the future. I thought they they I thought they had a statement. Yeah, you know what he's saying. I, I think doesn't this go back to what you encountered, Richard? Yeah, so basically Wizards is very stingy with their stuff. Uh so they don't they don't give out anything. Uh so they they actually give out some wallpapers and stuff, but that's it. But other games uh have APIs or services you can call to say, oh, you know, what are the latest items? You know, what was just released this week? What do they look like? So the equivalent would be for Gatherer, 
right? Today, if you want gatherer information, you got to copy it all or scrape the wizard's website. Uh, but there's no reason why you can't just call some wizard's API and get that information. And that would help you build fan websites. Uh, same with big data. Wizards doesn't want to release all of the deck lists. Uh, people found a way around that by scraping magic online replays. And then wizards cut that off to stop that. Right, so there, there's an argument to be had that this will solve the metagame too quickly. Uh, but then there's the other argument that uh, having everyone look at this data will progress the game further. Um, but Wizards seems to be adverse to these things, and it's just, I don't know, it, it's just like pre-internet people being afraid of the internet, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, that's because I'm a tech person, so, you know, like, all these other games have leveraged fans to do their dirty work. Like, you don't need to make a good gatherer website. If you just release all that information, other people will use it to make tools, right? That's why, like, games like League of Legends or games like Hearthstone have such good um, third-party websites because they can grab all this information directly from uh, the, uh, you know, the, the source, right? They don't have to scrape it. They don't have to worry about getting it from somewhere. They don't have to worry about getting their site shut down. You know, it's all used correctly, so that's a big advantage. And then they, they make all these tools and people use them and it furthers the community and furthers the game. Whereas Wizards has kind of closed it all off and they're relying on themselves to make it. So this gives them more control. But at the same time, they have finite resources and they have to pay for it. Uh, so so I, I don't know. So I, I would prefer it if they just gave out all this stuff. Like here, have some icons. You know, Use these mana symbols, right? Use these set symbols. Use these card images. Make all the websites you want, right? But... They don't do that, unfortunately, today. I think the thing that bothers me the most is I feel like having that data restricted creates this sort of two-tiered system of Magic players because pro players have the ability to have a team of 20 people get together and play hundreds of matches over the course of time, keep all that data, so they can basically build this data on their own the hard way. But if you're some random person just getting into the game or going to your first gp or even qualified to a pro tour without a team because you spiked i don't know a gp or something you're at a big disadvantage because you don't have access to that so that's the thing that bothers me about it is it uh, it further benefits the pros by making the playing field even more unequal because the pros can access this data by doing it the hard way why a normal player just can't do that it's not possible to to generate that data on your own. Yeah, th that's a really good point, Seth. I mean, it's it's different when you're on your own. You, you, there's no way you can create or even get access to these numbers. So I, I, I don't know. Their their whole reasoning was, oh, you know, people solve the metagame too fast. I mean, I don't think so. I think that's is more beneficial to have that uh, information uh, out there than than to not have it out there. I mean, I think more innovation would be the outcome rather than less like I don't, I don't i don't see their reasoning behind oh it would be solved too fast i think having the information doesn't make people solve it it makes people innovate from that to try and combat it so i don't know i, I think you're right it it, it, it creates this that, that two-layered uh issue where you know you have large groups of, of pro players that other people just don't that they obviously don't have that and they can figure it out, but then other people aren't privy to that information. So I don't know. I I I I, I do agree with you, Richard. I wish they would just let people have the information. Yeah. What's interesting is Wizards is 
gonna lose this battle eventually. Uh, you know the the Go AI that uh, Google built. Uh, they're they're setting it against Hearthstone, uh, not Hearthstone, against Magic and Hearthstone. Uh, so if this thing is successful, it's gonna solve Magic anyway, <laughs> right? Like it, it it will figure out first. It has to learn how to play Magic. Uh, once it learns how to play Magic, it can then just figure out what the best decks are and how to build the best decks and things like that. It's amazing. So uh... we'll just have robots play Magic: The Gathering for us now. <laughs> just all program basically robots. right it's basically what we're doing it's yeah. like instead of using theory to calculate your mana base we'll just do it with uh trial and error and you know let let it learn right oh that's and good we'll, we'll see how it goes right because go was considered unsolvable a while back and then uh it just crushed the human right <laughs> so now we're on to hidden information games. Magic the Gathering is apparently one of them. Oh. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Imagine imagine when they bring people over from for like a deck tech. Well, you know, my bot, when I set it up, uh, you know, obviously started out like this and then uh, spit out this deck list. So I took it and now I'm here at the Pro Tour. So thanks, bot. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we'd be talking about people. There wouldn't be people playing <laughs> yeah, there'd anymore. There'd just be robots just playing the, the Pro Tour. The LSV versus uh, Brad Nelson bot. <laughs> Ro- Robo Rosewater. Yeah, Robo Wo- Rosewater strikes again. It's, it's learning. Oh, imagine it's learning. that would be crazy. We have Robo Rosewater as one of the combatants. Uh, It'll be like, oh, have you, what is that game where it's like a fighting game where they have two bots playing against each other and people bet on it? Oh, oh. M- M- Mugen. Mugen. It's a very popular Twitch channel. Like uh, that's gonna yeah, be magic. Mugen. Mugen? I, I forget. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah, they they bet like these like fake points, and then they set up yeah. two bots, and there's like two random characters. And when the characters come up, yeah, I watched that. It's actually really fun if you ever get a chance to watch it. It's like completely crazy, and they have like characters that are like two pixels tall against like these gigantic <laughs> characters. Oh, it's crazy. Well, I'm waiting for that day where we see LSV play some bot and then it'll be an epic like pro tour (laughs) (laughs) pro tour finals like you know finkel's already been defeated by this thing somehow (laughs) last hope for uh human magic players lsv yeah wait for us oh that'd be well that's all our fishermen ah that was a lot but they were all really really good questions so thank you everyone for sending those in uh continue to do so uh by the way you've been doing it, but uh, I know it's easier for all of us, including Richard, to get it at the hashtag, right? So, uh, but yeah, I mean, keep sending them in. We'll keep answering them. Uh, It's great when we have a lot of them like this so we can get through them. Uh, Does that wrap things up? I think we talked about everything we wanted to talk about. I think we we did it, right? I think we're pretty good. Nothing crazy, even on the financial side that I saw. No, boring, boring week. Boring week. Uh, I mean, it's been actually pretty even keel for a little while, which is uh, remarkable. <laughs> actually, I do you, any of you know when we'll start getting Eternal Master spoilers? <laughs> I have no idea. I think we're five weeks away from set release. Set release? I oh, think it's Ju- June 10th. Yeah, so basically five, five weeks, I think. So I'm assuming in a the week 20- or two, maybe. I think maybe that Monday, the 23rd, is probably when it starts. So three weeks from today? All right. So a that little sounds while right. then. That sounds right. How did they spoil Modern Masters? Was it just a couple of cards a day, like a normal set, or did they just like dump it all out? No, I they don't give remember pe- what they I did. I think they give people spoilers. 
I'm pretty sure they do it like a normal set. Maybe it's the 30th then. Uh, the 23rd seems like too long. Maybe it's the 30th because it does release at the 10th. There's no pre-release, right? No. Is no there? pre-release. No. Right. So no, then it's no. probably the 30th. And then we get the release on the 10th. I don't know. Hmm. Well, it should be interesting. Yeah, I, I honestly forget how they spoiled uh, Modern Masters 2015, to be honest with you. <sighs> yeah, I, I think they did regular spoilers, but I'm I not 100% I think so, too. Sure. That sounds right. That sounds right. But yeah, and then after that, like not very lo- much longer after that, we get Eldritch Moon, right? Eldritch Moon, yep, end of July, and then a month after Eldritch Moon is Conspiracy 2, and then a month after that is the fall set. So it's going to be, after like July, it is going to be insane. I think literally it's going to be to the point where a set releases, and then like a week or two after, we'll start spoilers for the next set. Like, it's going to be that quick. We are going to have a busy, busy schedule on the cast, and you and I are going to be cranking out a lot of set reviews, like back to back. Like, it, our, our our set review for like Modern Masters will end, and then another one will begin with Eldritch Moon like immediately after. Yep, basically. Oh, uh, well, that'll be fun. I really like the set reviews. They were really great. Yeah, it was it's definitely fun. fun. It was a lot of fun. I hope everyone else uh, enjoyed those too. Uh, but yeah, I think that wraps things up for the cast. Uh, we will do this next week. So yeah, this is the crew signing out. And uh, we'll do this again. Gentlemen, it was a great cast as always. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the crew signing out.